0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's
1: passage is Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Aurora. Uh, You know, in our series, the past few weeks, we've been tracking uh, through Psalms with three groupings in mind. We have uh, Psalms of Orientation. Psalms of disorientation and soon are Psalms of reorientation. And the first three weeks we looked at life with with God, God as creator, God as Lord. Uh, Psalms that orient us to our Lord, who he is and our relationship to him. And last week we are in the Psalms of lament, uh, hearing the cries of the psalmist who laments in a disorientated world and life. Uh, Today we're in a psalm that has themes of all the other psalms we've heard so far. Uh, We see in this psalm a man lamenting groaning all day long we see god the creator with his hand heavy upon the man we see god as lord as he responds to the psalmist we see life with god for one who trusts in the lord and i think why we get all these focuses within this same psalm is because this psalm speaks to a fundamental piece of our relationship with god you know at the core of this psalm is the theme of repentance uh, its emphasis is on on the confession of sin our confession as sinners uh, to the God who created us. You know, The psalmist here is none other than David, King David, a godly and righteous man, chosen by God and loved by God, described as a man after God's own heart. And yet even with such high regard in holiness, here he is singing out about his need for repentance, his confession of sin. You know, most have associated this psalm to be read with Psalm 51, which is what we heard from Sam Lowe today, digital. They complement one one another. You know, as David reflects on his sin with Bathsheba, where he took another man's wife as his own and then gets the man killed to hide it. You know, a series of appalling sins from from such a righteous man, which brings him here to this psalm as he reflects on uh, his sin and reflects on the character of God. And what we get is a psalm that I think uh, reveals to us uh, three things, three particular things. The deceit of sin, the demand for repentance, and the delight of forgiveness. So how about we pray as we dig into this wonderful psalm. Father God, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for using your servant David uh, to, to cry out to you to see this need for repentance, Lord. May our hearts be stirred today, Lord God. May it be your words that remain in my friend's hearts, Lord. Take away any that are of mine. And let your words challenge us, encourage us, uh, convict us in our hearts, Lord. And thank you for giving us uh, your psalms. I pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. You know, during this season, there's been a uh, a game that's been trending. It's called Among Us. Basically, the goal is to complete tasks on a spaceship to win. But there's an imposter or two that, that sabotages tasks and can kill you in order to win it's a game right it's in order that they win which you have to find out and you have to vote out and it's really fun as you play on zoom and you see people's reaction when they're accused of being the imposter you know people are like no no i'm not the imposter and like yeah yeah you are you see people laugh you see people shock people argue Couples accusing one another Friends backstabbing one another You know, guilty folk deceiving others With their big eyes and soft-spoken manner You know, I've even seen a person change their name To Pastor Luke, hoping that nobody will vote them out Because they'll feel guilty killing Pastor Luke It didn't help, he still got voted out I've had the privilege of joining in a few groups At Melbourne West who play this Many groups And I think the greatest miracle I've witnessed in my life Is people remaining friends after playing this game It's a great game. And while this is a fun little game, we think about it, some of us who have played it, we think it's a fun little game that's purpose is to deceive in order to win. In all seriousness, I'm going to change gears here. Sin is far more heinous as it intentionally aims to deceive as well, but in order to destroy. So look at how David describes sin in the opening two verses. He uses the words transgression, Sin, iniquity. Verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. He uses three separate words that ultimately describe sin. Transgression. Interpreted in Hebrew literally means departure. You know, describing a departure from God, our creator, our lawgiver, and our, our Lord. You know, a departure from his authority. It's a deliberate disobedience of God's will. Transgression gives us a view of our sin in relationship to God. Then we have the word sin, David uses here, which in its Hebrew translation, it means to miss the mark, fall short. You know, in ancient times, you'd imagine this in archery terms. You know, you shoot an arrow at a target and it falls short. Sin is us falling short. Our moral failure, our missing the mark in God's divine law, the righteousness God requires for his holy and chosen people. We sin, we miss that mark. We don't and can't hit the target. And lastly, David uses the word iniquity, which translated, it describes a a sort of corruptness, twisted, crooked, perverse, a waywardness. It, It paints us a guilt in intentionally sinning. See, David paints for us with these three simple words a visual picture of sin. Theologian James Johnston says it's like holding up a black diamond with us seeing different facets of our sin. David here not only describes himself upon reflecting on what he's done in adultery and murder, he also paints for us the human condition, doesn't he? That we are truly sinners, that we've departed from God, we've missed the mark. We are wayward, as you may have heard Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet from this psalm, these, these words describing sin aren't the most distressing words we find here. But I think the word that, that stands out from the rest, the word I think David emphasizes when describing the human condition is the word deceit. Blessed is the man whose spirit there is no deceit, he says in verse 2. See, when David uses the word deceit here, he's not referring to the deceiving like lying to another person or playing among us with them, no. But David is talking about a self-deceit, one that affects us and God, you know, lying to yourself. And there are many ways we so easily do this uh, when it comes to the area of sin. I think the most obvious way we deceive ourselves in our sin is to think that uh, we didn't do anything wrong. You know, When there's a relational conflict, it's the other person's fault. When it's pleasurable and feels good, it's justified when it's minor and insignificant, it doesn't matter. See, we deceive ourselves when we think God isn't present. God's so distant that he's probably got bigger fish to fry. you know it doesn't it happened so long ago. I'm sure it doesn't bother God or I'm doing it in secret behind closed doors. Surely nobody would know. We deceive ourselves when we compare at least I'm not a cheater like him or a gossiper like her or those people who murder. We deceive ourselves when we think our moral living balances our immoral actions. We deceive ourselves when we focus on the superficial. You know, I go to church, I don't drink, I don't swear. We deceive ourselves when we think this psalm is for the other person and not me. We deceive God when we ignore sin, pretend it didn't happen, put it on other people, hide it, justify it. You know, 1 John chapter 1 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, when we pass our sin off as insignificant or non-existent, we don't only deceive ourselves, but we're actually trying to deceive God. You know, as an uh, an IT teacher at one of the high schools back in the day, uh, they had installed... Uh, software on my computer where I could check each student's screen and what they were doing from my computer this was the best the best software because I could bust kids playing games in class browsing off topic chatting with other, like chatting with each other sometimes I'd be sitting there at my desk and suddenly i would just stand up and randomly randomly sprint at one of the kids just to look at what's on their screen and see them all kind of flustered and trying to close their windows as quickly as I can it was great it's just the best software right I could see everything they did like unlimited power i had i felt now to think this software let me see all that the students were doing yet the students knew this and they still did it they knew it it wasn't some sort of surprise i busted them so many times and they knew and they still did it lying to themselves thinking oh maybe mr fung wasn't checking my my desktop wrong Maybe Mr. Fung didn't care and and wasn't going to check anyway. Wrong, I'm checking. So wrong. Silly kids, right? And yet, and yet, again, a change of gears. And yet, we do exactly the same with God. As believers, we know deep down, He knows. The same God who created the heavens and the earth, the creator, the universe, every fiber of our body doesn't just see what's on our desktop using some sort of software, this is the almighty God who sees the very intentions inside our hearts, who knows us personally before we even knew ourselves. And yet, in our proneness to be wayward, to so often miss the mark as ones who so often deliberately disobey, we still so easily deceive ourselves in forgetting who God is and who we are in relation to him. That as sinners to a holy God, there is a demand for repentance. And what's profound is that this process of repentance often doesn't start with us, but with our good and gracious God. Why don't we read verse 3 and 4? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When's the last time you felt guilty? Not just a guilt like taking that last piece of food from the family table or the guilt where you accidentally changed lanes without indicating, but like a heavy, a heavy guilt. Guilt from doing something you know wasn't pleasing to God. The guilt that clouds your mind day and night that you just can't seem to get rid of it. And for David, that was exactly it he was racked with guilt from his sin. Keeping it silent, he would say his bones wasting away, physically affected by the guilt, eating away at him, emotionally affected, lamenting on what he had done, groaning all day long. And what's interesting in David's cry in these two verses is that he says, day and night, God's hand was heavy on him. That it was God pressing on him. David was silent. Kept his sin to himself, tried to continue on with life without acknowledging it, you know yet it's God's hand pressing down on his heart, and it was heavy. See Charles Spurgeon says God's hand is very helpful when it uplifts, but awful when it presses down. Better a world on the shoulder like Atlas than God's hand on the heart like David. See David's silence in his sin became ever so painful as he felt God's hand pushing on him reminding him you can't get away with it David this stubborn silence won't this stubborn silence won't work you just can't keep living as if nothing had happened see God presses on David's heart his demand for repentance with David finally giving in look at verse 5 I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to you, to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, David was miserable. His health and vitality affected. He was in pain physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually over this, his grave sin. God's hand was heavy on his conscience. It almost looks like he was reluctant in confessing. And yet what this tells us, about the character of God is that God is good and that he is full of grace. That even though David was miserable while racked with guilt, God moving him and pressing on his heart clearly shows us a God who loves him. Just like David, sometimes we are so stubborn in our sin that God sometimes has to almost force us to turn to him for healing and forgiveness. See, for us today, God uses his Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, an act of grace and love from a good God. You know, Hebrews 12 verse 5 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline See, our conviction in our sin, which can make us miserable, which can affect our whole well-being, is oftentimes loving discipline from a caring father. But why is this? You know, we look at Hebrews 3, verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is a serious matter. It eats away at us like a disease. You know, in our stubborn silence, our loving father presses down on us to see clearly the severity. You know, Charles Burgeon again, he says, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. The true time to worry is when God doesn't bother you in your sin. When in your sin comes no guilt, no miserableness, no effect. When you no longer feel the disease eating up at your flesh and insides as your heart has been hardened in rebellion. Like calluses on a musician's fingers, the more hardened the fingers become, the less it feels, just as our hearts are with sin. No matter how miserable, no matter how painful, how anguishing the guilt, when you feel the weight of conviction from God, from the Holy Spirit, God is telling you he loves you and wants you to repent. David acknowledged his sin to God. So are we to confess to God our sin. But you may ask, why? Why do we need to repent? See, repenting is to change one's mind. This isn't merely a change in thought, but it's a change of mind that results in a change of action. See, repentance means we recognize where we've sinned, where we've fallen short, disobeyed, gone wayward in front of a holy and righteous God, and we acknowledge our need and surrender to him. See, one writer says, Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it, It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what once he loved. See, in our guilt, we see more clearly the black diamond that is sin. As Christians, God convicts us in our sin through the Holy Spirit because God wants us to hate sin as much as he does. But not only that, God's hand is heavy upon his children because he wants to forgive us. In Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, it says, But not only that God's hand is up, he says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. See, as I ran through the list of ways we deceive ourselves earlier, there was one I purposely left out. I think the greatest way we could deceive ourselves when we sin is to believe that God won't forgive us. Look at the second half of verse 5. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, David's sin was despicable, one of the worst recorded in the Bible. Yet he knew the profound truth and comfort that he could come to the feet of a God who indeed forgives. When the weight and burden of guilt is laying heavy in your soul, when you feel you're so far gone that surely there's no way back, when you've come to the point where you don't hate sin but rather you hate yourself, Know that you have a gracious Lord who loves you and will forgive you. Look back at verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. See, this is uh, uh, the beatitude, like Jesus on the mount, starting with blessed is... Blessed is, David says, Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. See, while in this psalm, David has revealed to us the the deceit of sin, we've seen God's demand for repentance. This psalm of David starts and ends with the wonderful truth, that there's a delight of forgiveness. So as we reflect on this psalm, notice that David starts it off with the word blessed. See the last time we saw a psalm starting this way was all the way back in Psalms 1 and 2 which started and ended with this blessed is and yet there's something quite different between Psalms 1 and ours today. See while Psalms 1 talks about the blessing for the one who walks in the way of the Lord constantly, one that isn't tainted by sin and evil, one who is obedient and delights in the law of the in the law of God, painting the perfect one, pointing to Jesus here in Psalm 32. David declares the blessing to the one who is so far from perfect, the one who has deliberately rebelled, missed the mark, gone wayward. Us. Blessed are we who are forgiven. We sin, yet blessed be to us as God forgives. There is a joy, there is delight in knowing that God is indeed for you, that God is gracious, kind, merciful, forgiving. Happy be to us sinners who are forgiven. See, we all want happiness. We all want to be blessed. And we can be and are because we are forgiven. I started out this sermon looking at the three words that David paints in that black diamond that is sin, right? But I want us to notice something. Notice that David, the psalmist here, well, David uses three distinct words for sin, He also uses another three words to match them. Again, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Forgiven. See, in our transgressions, we constantly rebel. We depart from God and his authority, yet we are forgiven. Literally meaning lifted as a burden from shoulders. Carried away is what it's translated as. Described like a boulder pinning you to the ground. But God lifted it and carried it away. And we can be sure of this as we see the cross of Christ. The burden of all humanity's sin on Jesus' shoulders. Carried away as he gave up his life as a ransom for many. We are forgiven in our transgressions because of Jesus Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Covered. We are sinners. We've missed the mark, yet our sins are covered. Translated like standing in front of a judge, our crimes are cancelled out. Case dismissed. They've been atoned for. The blood of a sacrifice covered the sin, restoring right relationship with the divine judge, God. The blood of Christ has atoned for us. Our sins are covered because of Jesus. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. And third, count. Our lives are filled with iniquity, waywardness, yet the Lord counts no iniquity. This is a, a bookkeeping word, count meaning to charge something to an account. We imagine a ledger filled with every account of our sin like a credit card statement for every transaction we've ever made. And the Lord counts it for zero wiped clean no charges sin removed from God's ledger the spreadsheet is empty God leaves sin off the ledger and adds righteousness a righteousness that comes only from Jesus and the life he lived that we could not our iniquities aren't counted for because of Jesus blessed is the one whom the Lord counts no iniquity See, while we have the black diamond of sin that reveals to us our human condition, transgression, sin, iniquity, we have a true treasure in Jesus Christ that reveals to us God's condition, forgiven, covered, counts no iniquity. We worship a loving and forgiving God. So come to him in repentance. Confess him your sins. For in Jesus, he forgives Finally, look at verse six. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. This is David's rallying cry to God's people, believers, God, godly people like David. Fall into sin. The temptation is to be silent, to deceive ourselves in any way possible, to not want to face God like Adam and Eve in the garden. Call out to God while you can. Don't let sin fester and harden in your heart. For we might not be able to cry out to God tomorrow. But know that God is there ready to forgive and to transform your heart. Transform us that we don't see some sort of cheap grace, living life how we want, sinning more, to ask forgiveness loosely and falsely. You know, We know Romans 6 reminds us, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Of course not. But we come to our Lord in repentance that we may continually be walking in a newness of life. So I want to end today with this. See, from verse 8 onwards of the psalm, it's awesome. It actually is God speaking to the reader, it switches, it goes to the person of God speaking from verse 8 onwards. And we can delight in forgiveness because God promises us things when we come to Him in repentance, He promises guidance guidance concerning holy living the holy spirit who convicts us and transforms us teaches us to obey and walk in the way of the righteous as we confess our sins to our lord god promises us a steadfast and enduring love a covenant love a commitment to his people a love like that of the father to the prodigal son ready to welcome you home as you come to him for forgiveness and god promises us thirdly uh, that that there is forgive in forgiveness there is joy Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We can be joyous knowing that in Jesus we are forgiven. We can cry out with a loud voice and rejoice that our God is so good and so full of grace that if we come to him and confess our sins, that he will indeed forgive us. Blessed are those who are forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today, many of us with a heavy heart. We come to you today broken. We know we have fallen so short, Lord, in our transgressions, in our sin, in our iniquity, Lord. We are wayward. How often do we miss the mark, Lord? Yet through this psalm, we see that you are a God who is full of grace. You are a God whose arms are open wide that there is a delight, that as we come to you, that there is forgiveness. Lord, that as we come to you, that you, by the blood of Jesus, have forgiven us, that you have atoned for us, that you've covered our sins, that you've counted our ledger as zero, only through what Jesus has done. We thank you so much for the blood of Christ. We thank you so much that he reigns in our life. We thank you so much, God, that you are a God who is in control of this all and you are a God who is merciful and loving and there for us, that you are not distant, that we can't come to you when we fail, that you are not distant, that we can't come to you when we feel like you are far away, that we can't come to you when we have sinned so heavily that we feel like we're too far gone. But may we know, Lord, no matter the sin, no matter how sinful we are, we indeed can come to you and you want us to come to you. That we may confess our sins and be forgiven because you are so good and loving. We thank you so much for this, Lord, and we pray all of this in your Son's holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.